chaos describes this great uncertainty, describes randomness or disorder or just confusion. And if we think about this, this era that we've been in since middle of March, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I call it chaos. It really has been just so much just uncertainty. Um, I'll never forget when I first heard of sheltering in place. I thought, what? what is that? And I was just shocked. My first thought was, is that legal? Like, is it constitutional? Can the government actually tell me you can't go to work? You can't go see anyone. Your church can't gather. You can't go to the store. Like, all of this craziness. And I remember thinking, what is happening? Like, is this the U.S.? What, what's going on? And all of this, in my mind, was just chaos. And, and my soul, early on in the first few days of this season, I'll never forget, it was like, like my heart was just plunged into chaos. And I remember the anger. I was so frustrated and just, I felt so robbed because of my normal patterns and being able to go to the coffee shop and meet with people and gather as a church. And, and I'll be honest, I, I was angry. Like early on, man, I was just really struggling with, with this deep frustration and anger over what we were experiencing. And, and so when we talk about chaos, I, look, I've been there too. And so maybe you can relate to me. Maybe you've been frustrated Maybe even right now, maybe even this Sunday morning, you got up and, and you're watching and you're in this online gathering and you're thankful for it. But man, you just really long, like I do, to just be with the people of God and, and praise Him together. And so maybe you, you can relate to frustration. I don't know. Maybe for you, this is a little bit different. Maybe for you, it's been more of anxiety or, or fear or, or worry has been more of what you've struggled with. And so I don't, I don't know exactly where you're at. I have talked to some people that this has been a really, really hard season because they've had loved ones that have actually been sick or you have... Maybe you have a loved one that's in a nursing home and, and you can't even go visit your, your parents or your loved ones or a grandparent. And, and so this has been really tough. I think it's good for us to just be honest that we're in painful times. And yet our God knows and it's not as though he is up there in heaven and he's too busy and he's disconnected or unconcerned. God knows and he cares. And he has a word for his people in the middle of difficult times, of trying times, as I've been calling it, chaotic times. We've been studying in the book of Habakkuk these last few weeks. And we've been considering what it looks like to have confidence, to have hope in the purposes of God, even when things are difficult. We've seen how God has a purpose in our pain. And, and we can face the enemy that will be defeated. God will defeat evil. And we can do it without flinching. And we're continuing now Habakkuk. We're going to be today in chapter 3. And as you look forward and turn there, I just want to share kind of how I felt Whenever, whenever I, I think of this season, I kind of get flashbacks. I, I get flashbacks to being in Abu Dhabi, in the Middle East, where, where it's desert. And now, on, on one hand, it's beautiful. If you've ever been like in the Sahara Desert, it is absolutely stunning. You're on these dunes, and it is just 
gorgeous and it's so fun. But you know what? At the same time, it's fun because I can get in my car and then drive home and get in the AC and take a shower and go in my bed. If you're just out there in the desert and it's hot, let me tell you, I've, I've lived in the desert. I, I can assure you, I know what it's like to be in the desert. And I think COVID-19 in a lot of ways is kind of like a desert. And, and maybe today you find your soul just a little bit withered. Maybe, maybe your soul's a little bit dry. Maybe in this COVID-19 quarantine desert that we're in, Maybe you have found yourself just kind of like feeling your heart drawn away from God or just kind of drifting away from the God that you love. And maybe you found your soul feeling like drawn to unhealthy or sinful things that just leave you filled with shame and guilt or despair and just further away from the God that you love. In the middle of this quarantine season, I believe from God's word that he wants his people to thrive in the desert. He doesn't want us just to survive. He wants us to truly thrive. I believe there are some of you, even right now that you're listening, that you have taken your spiritual life and you just kind of put it in neutral and you're kind of coasting. You're kind of like waiting it out and, and you really haven't been intentional. You haven't been in prayer. You have read the word. We haven't got there as a church. It's so much more difficult and it's just anxious and it's just hard. It's just hard hot and we're in the desert and it's so easy to just just want to just endure it just just kind of get by and then finally on the other end when all this is over finally get back to normal and back to life being intentional and following Jesus in community on purpose and but because of this season maybe maybe you've kind of been coasting You've been kind of complacent or just haven't really been as intentional as you were before March 15th when a church could no longer gather. As we're in the middle of this season, in the middle of it, not when we end it, not when it's over, right now, in the middle of it, God wants you and me, us, his people, to thrive in the desert and not simply survive or try to get through it. So as we look back at three, we're talking about this confidence in the chaos means a thriving in the desert. So just quick recap, in chapter one, you have a very frustrated prophet. Habakkuk is angry at God and saying, God, don't you see all the evil around? Why don't you do something, God? What are you doing? And then in chapter two, God responds and he says, oh, I have a plan. And God's plan is to send the Babylonians to destroy God's people. But God also promises to then destroy Babylon. He promises to end all evil. And he says that those who have faith will live. So God is revealing his plan to defeat evil and to refine his people, yes, through fire, but to bring us in the other end closer to him and reflecting his glory. And yet in chapter 2, Habakkuk still doesn't get it. He was not exactly thriving in the desert. 
he was complaining, he was disappointed, and he was really just struggling. Now, when I talk about thriving in the desert, I want to be just clear that we're on the same page, that what I'm thinking and trying to communicate and what you're thinking lines up. When I talk about thriving in the desert, what I'm talking about is worshiping God in the crisis. I'm talking about praising God even when it's hard or disappointing or just really painful. I'm talking about being able to really grow spiritually and pursue Jesus even in a quarantine. We only have online gatherings. So when I say thriving in the desert, what I'm talking about, it's all about worship. It is about worshiping God even when the circumstances aren't ideal or favorable. Because circumstances change nothing. Let me give you the theme that we'll dig into in here in a second and just look at Habakkuk chapter 3. So if you're taking notes, here's, here's the theme. Here's the main point of Habakkuk 3. It's that God is worthy of our worship because of His mercy in saving us no matter the circumstances. Let me say that again. The theme of chapter 3 is that God is worthy of our worship because of His mercy in saving us, no matter the circumstances. God is still worthy of your affections, of your worship, no matter how hard or uncomfortable life is. So let's dig right into Habakkuk chapter 3 and look at this theme step by step. So the first part we're seeing here is God is worthy of your worship. Chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shiga'anoth. So that's just verse 1, but there is actually quite a bit to unpack in just this first verse. So Habakkuk now, in chapter 3, it says this is a prayer of Habakkuk. So now Habakkuk is responding to God. He has complained. He has heard God's sovereign answer and purposes. And now in chapter 3, you see a response. And what you see in this chapter is a very different Habakkuk from chapters 1 and 2. Now we're, we're going to see in this third chapter as the book closes that Habakkuk is and he's learned how to thrive in the desert. And it all begins with worship, which is why it says here that it's a prayer. It says, according to Shigenaioth. So what you see is he is remembering God's plan to crush evil and to save his people who have faith and to cover the whole world with worshipers as the seas cover the world. And so he says, in response to that, he says, I'm going to pray according to, and this word in Hebrew, it refers to musical accompaniment. So that word, kind of a weird word, that word refers to a worship gathering where God's people are together and they're worshiping with music. 
So this chapter three is actually a poem. It's a song that it's a prayer, but it's also a song that God revealed to the prophet that should be sung in corporate worship along with music. So it's not just a personal prayer. It's a a praise. It's an act of worship. Now, that word also specifically means to accompany with music, but with the spirit of excitement or a spirit of victory or triumph. And so it's describing emotion. And so here God is saying, here's a response to God. Let it be worship, but you should feel it. You should feel the presence of God. You should feel victory and feel excitement. And so it doesn't say to just sing, you know, just kind of monotone. No, it says sing it and feel it. That's what you see here in this verse. And then you see three times in verse 3, verse 9, and in verse 13, there's a word that says selah. And so at the end of those three verses, throughout the whole psalm, this, 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 this song here, it's three selahs. So selah was what? That meant a pause. So it meant a pause with musical accompaniment. So the idea was that you're singing verses 1, 2, and 3, and then there's a selah. So there's a pause. where you stop and then you just reflect on what you just sang. And, and you just stop and you just listen to the music and reflect on what you just heard as you're enjoying God's presence. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, so you're talking about these long songs where you stop and then there's no singing, but there's just music and you're experiencing God's presence as you pause or reflect. You're like, oh, that sounds so charismatic. No, it sounds so biblical. It's in the Bible. What you see here is a worship gathering where there's moments when you listen to the music and you just stop and you reflect. You actually think. Think about what you're saying. And you just rest in God's presence. Worship gatherings are an amazing time of experiencing God's presence and of seeing His power release and His grace just rain down on us. It's important for us to gather, and I pray that we can do so again soon. But even as we're gathering, here in our different homes with this online venue, we should still be singing and still be feeling this affection for God. You see, Jesus told us to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Some of you do love God with your mind. You love to learn. You love to read. You love theology. And so you love God with your mind. Others of you love God with your strength. You love to serve. You love being busy in the kingdom and you're this incredible, faithful servant. But oftentimes we can forget to also love God with our heart and with our soul. So the deepest part of us where we can feel our affections for God. So we're called to love God with all of us, heart, mind, soul, and 
strength. God is worthy of our worship, but he's worthy of all of you. He's worthy of your affections. He's worthy of your loyalty. He's worthy of your obedience. He's worthy of your praise. God is worthy of your trust. God is the reason why you exist. To praise him, to worship him. You know, unlike all other religions, the God of the Bible, the one true God is the God who seeks and he is seeking worshipers. God is actively pursuing and rescuing people that they can come together for the purpose of worshiping him. This is the purpose of God. This is our purpose is to worship God, to enjoy him. So the word worship itself means to recognize the infinite worth of God, to see his glory and then to treasure it and to worship God because of his glory. Just like the Grand Canyon deserves your awe because it is awesome, God deserves your awe because of his infinite perfections. When we see him with the eyes of faith and we see God's infinite and eternal glory, the response should be awe, amazement, and treasuring and desiring him and loving him and loyalty to his kingdom because he is the author of life. He is the fountain of all wisdom. He is the beginning and the end. So God deserves our worship because he is worthy and he alone is worthy of it. So we're created to see it and then to savor it. And when you are enjoying God, enjoying his glory, that is the essence of glorifying God. When you glorify God, you are enjoying Him. When you are enjoying Him, you are worshiping Him. So all of these terms are interconnected. Is the enjoying of God is glorifying to Him, is worship. This is why we exist. But let's go a little bit deeper. Let's continue in chapter 3. So yes, God is worthy of our worship because of His infinite perfections, His glory but what is the pinnacle what is what is the highest point or if you will what is the the apex of the glory of God so as we continue in this this theme from Habakkuk 3 it's God is worthy of our worship because of his mercy chapter 2 O Lord, I have heard the reports of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So verse 2 describes how Habakkuk, the prophet, he knows God. It says that he knows the character of God and he knows the work of God. So he knows who God is from the word. And he has this deep reverence, this worship. He calls it this fear of God. He says, oh Lord, do I fear. So Habakkuk is then crying out. He says, revive. So he's crying out for a revival. That's what he is yearning for. 
He says, in the midst of years, revive it. He's like, revive what? Well, revive the remembrance of God. Because in verse 2, he says, remember. You know, in this hard season we're talking about here this morning, do you find that your soul needs to be revived? Does your soul need revival today? Maybe the furnace of your worship has gone cold. And what you need is for the Holy Spirit of God to light a match and to reignite that fire in your soul, that it would burn hot, that you would burn for Jesus. How does that happen? How do, you, how do you get to this point when you've been complacent in this quarantine? How do you get back to this point of, of being able to really thrive in this desert and not merely just endure it or just survive it? Verse 2 says, remember. Actually, I think we understand this more than we think we do because many of our beloved heroes from movies have to remember before they can have the victory. So if you take, for example, Simba, he had to remember that he was the heir to the throne of the Pride Lands and needed to go back to Pride Rock and needed to face his uncle Scar and take back the kingdom. But he was unable to do that until he could remember who he was. And then if you think of Neo, when he was the chosen one to defeat the Matrix and, and he couldn't do it, he couldn't rise up and actually go forth and defeat the evil Smith in the Matrix until he remembered and truly believed that he was the chosen one. And my favorite, Aragon, the heir of Gondor could not rise up and lead the army of the free men against the orcs of the Lord Dark Sauron. He was unable to wield the king's sword and lead his people into victory until he could remember who he was, the heir to the throne. Remembering who you are. Remembering what God has done with Jesus on the cross. Remembering what God has given to you. Remembering the promises of God. Remembering your identity in Christ. Victory comes when we remember. There's a reason why these stories inspire us. It's because they're just there's just a shadow of the real thing. And the real thing is victory that we have in Christ, which is why in verse 2, it says to remember. Remember what? In wrath, remember mercy. When we remember the mercy of God, victory is forthcoming. The Spirit ignites our soul. When we forget the gospel, when we forget the mercy of God to rescue us from our sin, our hearts grow cold. You see, we are evil, rebellious sinners. And it's because of our sin that Jesus died on the cross. 
He took our guilt and our shame upon Himself. And we saw this the last two weeks, Habakkuk 2 verse 4, that we live only by faith. We're made righteous by our faith in the finished work of the Messiah. Thinking that your sin is a little problem will lead you to seeing little glory in the cross of Christ. Recognizing that your sin is vast and you have been forgiven so much will lead you to have a vast appreciation and a vast view of glory in the cross because Jesus didn't just pay off our debt and then leave us like at a zero balance. Because if that were true, if Jesus paid my debt and said, here, Matthew, here's your moral zero balance. You know what I would do within the first five minutes? I'd go back in debt. But not only does he pay my debt, but he lavishes, he gives me the riches of the glory of God through Christ. We're forgiven and we're enriched with the presence of God, with his glory to share in his nature. We remember the mercy of God towards us. If you will stop long enough to meditate, to read the word, to pray, to seek the face of God in his presence, to hear his voice, to remember God's love for you and to receive it. I can assure you that the Spirit of God is going to light a fire in you and you will burn for Jesus and you will no longer be complacent because you're changed by the Spirit as we're captivated and we're in awe of the glory of Jesus. So as we're reviewing here the theme of Habakkuk 3, God is worthy of our worship because of his mercy. Number three, in saving us. Let's read a pretty good chunk of chapter 3, verses 3 through 15. That is one unit. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him were, went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kishon in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with the rivers. The mountains saw you and and writhed the raging water, swept on the deep, gave forth its voice, is lifted its hands on high. 
The sun and moon stood in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched with the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierce his own arrows, the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. This is amazing what you're seeing with very poetic language. Again, in this song, what you're seeing is the power of God in salvation. You see that he has mercy to save us. And and you see it, for example, in verse 13, it says, you went out for the salvation of your people and how you've crushed the head of evil. This is an allusion back to Genesis 3 of the Messiah crushing the head of the serpent. You're seeing this unfold, God defeating the enemy and through his power, bringing his people salvation. Salvation is the work of God. That is what this text is screaming so poetically is God is mighty to save his people from the enemy. And you see this throughout the whole Old Testament. I can give you just a flavor here for a couple of minutes, but it's all about pointing to salvation through Jesus. So Moses points to Jesus. We are like Israel. We were enslaved. We were the complainers. Even though God kept providing, they kept complaining and doubting. And like Israel, we're the ones that turn to idols and don't worship God. And so we are the sinful, rebellious, complaining Israelites. And Moses points to Jesus who continues to save us from our sin. And you see it also with Joshua. Joshua points to Jesus. He is Yeshua who leads us into enemy-occupied territory, the promised land, and defeats the enemy in subdue so that we can have rest in the land, rest in the presence of God. And so Joshua points to Jesus, the, the Israelites, that's us, needing saving Same thing with David. David points to Jesus. Oftentimes we think, oh, we're like David. We can swing our sling and we can slay giants. No, we can't. David points to Jesus, not us. What you see with David is he points to the Messiah. David faces the giant enemy and David slays the enemy. You and I, we are the terrified Israelites that had no hope to defeat the enemy. And so once again, you see Jesus saving his people. And you see it again with Hosea. Hosea points to Jesus. Hosea is the prophet who married Gomer. Gomer, that's us. We are the unfaithful spouse that goes for other lovers and is not faithful to God. Hosea points to Jesus who loves us and is faithful and transforms us even though we don't love him and are not faithful. 
We are the ones in need saving. Every single story in the Bible points to this. The whole Bible is about this. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is about the glory of God in salvation. It is God's story of rescuing rebels like you and me and transforming us into worshipers. And so we should never interject ourselves into the Bible as the hero. We are never the hero. Jesus is the hero from heaven. We are the ones that need saving. We need to put ourselves in the proper place the ones that are desperate for his salvation. Salvation at its essence is the spiritual resurrection. Salvation is being made new by the Spirit. Salvation is being born again with a new nature. It's, it's freedom. Salvation is no longer being enslaved in the kingdom of darkness. It's being put into the kingdom of light. Salvation is being adopted into God's family. Salvation is victory that Jesus has won for us. Salvation is a miracle. It's the work of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The apex, the highest points where God displays His glory most clearly and most stunningly is in the salvation of sinners like you and me. Mercy is the apex of the glory of God. And it's why we worship Him. God is worthy of our worship because of His mercy in saving us. Number four, as we wrap up, no matter the circumstances, it doesn't matter what we're going through, He is still worthy of our worship because of his mercy in saving us. Let's wrap up verses 16 through 19 and finish the book. You increased, no, never mind, wind, turn my page. <laughs> Verse 16. I hear my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yields no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. This is astounding. Verse 16, Habakkuk is in agony, like physical pain over the horrible circumstances that he is facing. And in his suffering, you, you see a different Habakkuk from chapters 1 and 2. He says, Yet will I quietly wait for the day of trouble. Yes, trouble is coming. And yet I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to be at peace. And I'm going to wait on the Lord. This is absolutely stunning. This is a guy that was complaining in chapters 1 and 2. 
and the circumstances are not better. It's the exact same horrible circumstances that we just read in verses 17. It says, no fields yielding food. So there's no food in the fields. The flocks are gone. There's nothing in the stalls. There's no herd. So there's no food. The HUB shelves are empty. There's nothing to buy. He's saying in the middle of this, in the middle of all of this horror that he's going through, in verse 18, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. In the middle of the circumstances, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. And so he is thriving in the desert. He's not surviving. He's thriving. But let's just be honest. This is a hard message. Like this is not an easy sermon to apply to me, let alone to proclaim to his people because this is a world of loss. All of us experience loss in one way or another. Maybe you've had very real personal loss in this season. We know the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and blessed be the name of the Lord. As we come to a conclusion here, let's ponder what, what we can glean from this and really understand why God allows loss. Why does he allow us to experience loss? Well, one answer is so that when we experience loss, so in the disappointment, when we experience loss, and we rest in God and we trust him, instead of complaining or getting angry or turning to something else for hope, so again, God allows loss so that instead of complaining or getting angry, we, we respond with resting and, and trusting in him and not turning to other idols for comfort. When we do that, it displays the glory of Jesus because what we're saying is Jesus is more valuable to me than what I've just lost. If we get angry and shake our fists and question God over our loss, what we're doing is we're saying, God, what I just lost means more to me than you. And if I'm honest, going through this season has been hard. For all of us, in one way or another, this has been very hard. But we have an opportunity to show that Jesus is more valuable to us than whatever loss may come because we have hope. This world, this existence is temporary. What awaits us is eternal. In the middle of your discomfort, I want to ask you a question. Do you want relief or do you want refinement? Because it's very easy to just want relief and to look for it, however we can find it. But God offers something more significant. He offers you himself. He offers you refinement so that you can display his glory and enjoy his presence so much more. God is worthy of our worship because of his mercy in saving us no matter the circumstances. I think if we're honest, there's two challenges with this. One is that sometimes we can think, 
well, we don't really believe that we can go to God. We think God's too busy. He doesn't have time for me. And so we believe the lie that we can't actually go to him. Or we believe the other lie, which is that we believe that we don't actually need God. We think, I got this. I'm self-sufficient. I can make sense of my life on my own. And we look for meaning outside of the glory of God. And so we think that we don't actually need God and we forget him. And I am most concerned, I worry most for those of you listening right now, that this whole religious thing comes easy to you. You were raised with it. So you know the lingo and you can just fake it on a Sunday, whether online or gathered together. You become so good at the Texas religious thing. And yet you don't read the word and you don't actually have a passion for Jesus and he doesn't actually impact your thoughts or or how you live your life or how you love your wife or how you treat your kids or how you spend your money or how you spend your days like Jesus doesn't actually impact your life you just got this Texas religious thing going on and maybe for you if you're listening the best thing that could ever happen to you is COVID-19 Maybe God is taking away some things. He's taking things away from you because he wants you to look up and to see more glory in Jesus and to have something real, not just to check the box Christianity, but I'm talking something real with Jesus where you really know him and follow him. We can worship no matter the circumstances because of who our God is. And he's at work. And he has a purpose in this current season, and it's a good purpose. And so we can trust him and not worry or panic or be angry, but rest in him and trust him. He's got a plan for you at church. He's got a plan for your life. And this season fits into his plan so that you can be refined and display his glory in ways that you couldn't otherwise.